Hello and welcome to this all-new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter-Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Gary Jackson. He is a poet who has authored the collection Missing You, Metropolis, which received the 2009 Kavikanam Poetry Prize, and his poetry has appeared in numerous literary journals in places like Callaloo, Los Angeles Review of Books, Crab Orchard Review, all places where you would like to have your poetry published. But he's here today because he is one of three co-editors of a very interesting new anthology. We're recording in the middle of October of 2021, and in a couple of weeks, the book is officially going to be released. This book is called The Future of Black, but it's a subtitle. That's the real giveaway. Afrofuturism, Black Comics, and Superhero Poetry. Because of that, I'm so glad you're here, Gary, so we can talk about it. <laughs> well, thanks, Charlie, for inviting me on. And um, and yeah, thanks for the introduction. I'm happy to I'm happy to answer all your questions to the best of my ability. Well, I think the first thing I have to ask, because it's it's not a I don't believe widely known concept, is is to say a little bit about Afrofuturism, what it what kind of what it means to you, how you see it. Yeah, um, and and for me, you know, like Afrofuturism has kind of become this this kind of kind of catch-all or umbrella term, right, that we use to kind of talk about any type of work, artistic work, whether it's music, literature, film, uh, you know, visual art, that kind of basically prioritizes or centers Black experience around, um, fantasy and science fiction, right? So so art that kind of looks forward into the future, um, but centers that future around Black life and Black experience. And kind of in doing so, it um, also orients us to look better at the shared past that we have as, as Black people, as people that all originated from Africa, and kind of how the African diaspora has kind of affected um, you know, our, how we see ourselves in the world and also how the world sees us. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of overlap too, right? Like Afrofuturism is a lot like science fiction, right? You could say science sure. fiction. Um, it's also fantasy. It's also superheroes, you know, like black superheroes totally qualify. Um, 
And I would argue, and, and maybe we'll talk about this later, or maybe you noted it yourself when you looked at the book, but I also think Afrofuturism points towards how we view ourselves in this present day and kind of just the, for lack of maybe a better phrase to say it, but just the miracle of being alive and black today, I would even consider as being um, Afrofuturistic, you know, like just the everyday miracles that we see. And I think some of the poets in the collection speak to that as well. Um, yeah, I don't know if that, that's, that's a good, good yeah. yeah. Well, as I was reading through the book, I just, when there's so much in a book with the different authors and the different things they have to say, there's a lot of poems in there. Um, I just go with what pops out at me. And one, one thing that just occurred to me sometime while I was reading it is, this is a very interesting vehicle for, um, self-definition kind of poems because yeah. if you're so there are some poems that speak through a superhero and the voice there is a very empowered uh solid strong confident voice i think in, in general, yeah. i think i can generalize if it's a superhero that's what they're going to sound like and uh, that's uh, a very interesting it's not intended to be a book about how great i am kind of thing or whatever or how confident I am, but it comes out that way. It's an interesting yeah. avenue to that message, I think. You, you did a poem in the voice of, of Luke Cage, for instance, and that's, uh, you know, he's certainly a, a solid guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, and it's kind of fun, right? I mean, I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head with, you know, part of, part of the collection too, I feel like, or part of this book, is kind of reclaiming those voices, right? And, and kind of empowering ourselves by, by writing through these characters. Um, and if I use that Luke Cage poem as an example, you know, I might even say part of it is, is reclaiming that voice because he, he's written, he was written so much by white authors, right? So in some ways the poem itself becomes a critique of that very aspect. And the fact that I get to write as him, um, Kind of changes that dynamic right um i could read it if, if you want to charlie i don't know if... i think it's a great poem i like it a lot <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah I'd, I'd be happy to read let me let me pull it up all right so i'll go ahead and read um luke cage tells it like it is don't believe everything you read the exploits you find in my comic are no more probable than snow in sunnyvale I'm not as black as you dream, but a body has to make a living and I play the part better than any. I know the dangers of believing every shade of black you see. In this issue, there's a mandingo of a man dark like olives voice as deep as a desert valley in the dead of night. He smiles as if he wants to bite your throat, holds back his teeth with those bubblegum lips he can't help but lick leaving the thinnest film of saliva on the surface. He's slick and he's bold and he's everything you imagine he should be. Sometimes you want to be him, want to see yourself in the silver gleam of his image and other times you want to be wanted by him, crave his brand of desire, his form of righteousness, bringing a little black to the world, one motherfucker at a time. No matter how three-dimensional he seems, Know that behind every jive turkey uttered, there is not a black mouth, but a white one. One that dictates who he calls nigger, 
to temper the perfect tone of black. This is the cruelest trick. Even now I'm defined by the borders of my panels, the hue of sienna ink, an assembly of lines, a rendering of man displayed across your page. Yeah, and that's right there, as you said, it's a, it's a white voice putting it in his mouth. Yeah. I mean, a white person putting the words in his mouth. Yeah, yeah, and, and like kind of letting that character um, reconcile that, right? This fact that he's been kind of, kind of used, been used in this way. Um, and I should also say too, I know we said a little bit before the show started, but, but when I wrote a lot of the poems, I mean, there's only two in this book, but when I wrote a lot of the superhero poems that I eventually published in my own book, this was all before like the big superhero Hollywood boom. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's been kind of it's been kind of fun and kind of surreal to see, you know, all these characters like Luke Cage and, and Black Lightning and you know, get get um start to become household names almost in a way, which has been kind of fun to to watch, but but yeah. Yeah, well I, I thought it'd be good if, if you did the poem with him because I imagine there's a lot of people like me who didn't see him in comic books, but we've got Netflix. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so then you know what the characters but the other thing I hadn't thought of until uh actually reading the whole book, not particularly off of your poem, but that his superpower is his skin. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. I totally <laughs> never thought of that, you know, because I guess maybe because I'm not black. <laughs> right. Well, but, you know, the people who created them weren't black either. So, yeah. I mean, even there, though, there's some, yeah. So, it's but yeah, just you're extremely right. interesting that that is his power. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, like his skin is what protects him, right? Yeah. Which is, yeah. Which is also a, a critique, you know, you could make. Um, yeah. I know some of the other, I know he's a popular one. Like there's three or four poets, right, who, who write about him in this, in this collection. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, when you talk about Black Lightning, he's the, he's your like very domestic superhero, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, right. I, I watched that whole series, and you know, he spends a lot of time worrying about if he's being a good family man and a good father, and how the daughters are doing and all that sort of thing. Yeah, which is also great in he's, a way, right? Yeah, because humanize. It, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's another thing a lot of these poems do pretty well right like um like i know uh blade right or even superman even though superman's not black you know there's there's poems in there that kind of humanize superman mm -hmm. in a way too right and and blade being this vampire you know hunter and so these poems that kind of talk about not the vampire hunting as much as just how he navigates kind of being in a way right like biracial right being a man of two worlds yeah. vampire and, and human um so yeah i love it when poems do that and, and and i was so thrilled to see all these other poets some of them i knew before of course but i was kind of thrilled to, to gather them all in, in these pages yeah so many different perspectives uh but do you have a, a couple of favorites in the anthology that you like pick one out and oh, read well no, that's, a, that's a good question i shouldn't say i have favorites but i no, will but uh, yeah you like them all i'm sure i would but but you may have one or two that happen to just specially grab you i know I, I you know do. i noticed skill god skill scott heron i knew that poem i don't know where from i've read that numerous places i think 
And that's your straight out, you know, just social critique. Yeah. Interestingly, different than the yeah. other, a little different in that way from the other book poems of the book. Yeah, I mean, we could we could read it for for content if you'd like me to to read that poem. I <laughs> whatever you want from the book, you know it better than I do. Yeah, well, once again, unfortunately, I have to do the page end, so maybe we won't do that. I'm, Let's do I'm one worried. where you know where it is. <laughs> yeah, um, I will say though about the the Whitey on the Moon poem, um, I think one of the editors, I, I think it was Lynn Lawson, I think he recently heard that again. Like it, it was a poem I, I had was familiar with already, but I think mm -hmm. someone had used it in a, in a show or something like that. And, and when Lynn heard it, we were in the midst of putting together this collection. And he was like, you know what? That would be a good poem if we could get it. And, um, yeah. and then another one of those coincidences we couldn't have made better, but like, of course, just a month ago when Jeff Bezos went up in space, Whitey on the Moon became like a trendy, right. <laughs> trendy song and meme again. Um, and so I remember when that happened, I thought to myself, like, oh, I wish this book was coming out on that same day because that would have gotten a lot of attention. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, okay, so I do have one poem that, that I really do adore um, and love, and it's by Ashley M. Jones. Um, and she's actually... Uh, a poet I, I knew previously. She's um, she's actually the poet laureate of Alabama, I believe, and she, and she lives and teaches in Alabama. And um, she wrote a poem called Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's such a great poem, I think, and, and I'd be happy to read it. Um, but it's such a great poem. And I remember I, I saw her at a reading just you know about about something else that that we were doing and I just told her how much I how jealous I was actually about, <laughs> of that poem because um I know exactly what she's writing about and it's a topic I myself had wanted to write about for years I just couldn't get it right and she just nailed it I thought <laughs> so so I'll I'll read this poem Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane number 106 using words from the comic book. On this daily planet, my life is good luck, all supermen at my service. I should get the Pulitzer Prize on the backs of Metropolis's black community. Wait, tenements perplex me. How can I break through this plague, their suspicious speech, those slick-mouthed babies and their knock-slam slang? Homeless ghosts on this, on this daily planet, what is the reason for their weary report? Look how the sun shines sweet and pretty on their rat-infested slums. It's okay, I'm right, I'm whitey, never forget. Little Africa is dejected, a neighborhood of frustration. I'll step into this machine and transform a startling switch, black for a day only. The hum zoom of the world staring, the smoke of white fragility, its gloomy fire trap. Black is beautiful. Have you met it before, reporter? The eternal struggle of life against death by darkness, a life of please look me straight in the eye. The constant confrontation of being black and alive in a white man's world, a universal outsider, so alien, even Superman couldn't risk loving you. Ah, uh, thanks for reading that. So, so tell me, it's a really good poem. What is it about it that 
it really grabs you, obviously. Tell us something about that. Yeah, like, um, I mean, you know, the, the title points to the actual issue, like it's an old Lois Lane comic where she she literally does what the poem says, you know, about this idea of how she she goes in a machine and turns into a black woman for a day. And so it's a great example of kind of the, at the time, what editors thought was kind of these progressive kind of <laughs> like racial politics they were exploring, like, oh, we'll have Lois Lane turn black and then she'll be able to better relate to what was in the comic called Little Africa in Harlem. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's problematic for a lot of reasons, but but I love that, that uh, Ashley kind of turns it on its head and it starts with this kind of outside gaze um, about Lois kind of projecting, this is what it must be like to be black without knowing, of course. Um, but then you get to like this real kind of humanity in that experience, even if it's accidental, you know, in the lines like black is beautiful, please look me straight in the eye, the constant confrontation of being black and alive in a white man's world. Like, yeah. you know, as the poem moves on, it kind of does this really interesting bleed into black experience while still kind of having this white gaze, if that makes sense, yeah. at yeah. other points in the poem. And I think that's such a that's such a nice balancing act that I feel like the the poem carries throughout. Um, and, you know, in the last line about so alien, even Superman couldn't risk loving you, you know, and and, um, and that's kind of a wink, I think, at the comic, too, where where, of course, Superman wants to be able to relate to being black because he is also othered. And of course, that correlation <laughs> does not work, does not work <laughs> at all. But, you know, at the time, I think the writers thought that that, that would they were that doing a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. uh, giving you a perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you reminded me of another poem in the book. You know how you do these, well, these kind of stories. Oh, I'm thinking of science fiction, you know, whatever. Yeah. Where you say, what if, yes. you know, and then what would happen? And yeah. the one about the uh, invention for passing. Yes. I thought, yeah. whoa, what a clever idea. I just, I'm, je I'm jealous of that. I would like to write that poem. Yeah. It's just such an interesting, good idea. Yeah. That's such a great poem too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that poem. And it's, it's like, yeah, this, the, the speculative part is the invention, right? Like what if we could Yeah. What if we could do that? And how, how much, how would we, would we use it? And, and you know, and, and how I don't know where that is. That's a really, it'd be interesting if we can find it. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's. In defense of passing. Yeah. It's Joshua Bennett. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. You introduced me to him. I think I want to try and find him for the podcast. Oh, he you is just good. Whoa. Yeah. He is great. I, wanna, I thought it was, an, I found it. It's, it's in the last, I think, section, oh. but I don't have a page number. Afro, Afrofuturism and Speculative Poetry. Yeah. I'll read this poem. It's by Joshua Bennett and it's called In Defense of Passing. Most of us call it cloaking, though the academic term for the practice slides just as smoothly off a teenager's tongue. Holographic deracination. Within days of wide-scale release, the times were held as device, its attendant social phenomena, as triumphs of modern technology, inevitable advance given the speed of post-racial desire. How expensive it is to purge the murk from an infant's skin by most other means. The machine's inventor will make no such claims 
a plain spoken woman she was, Stanford grad, white as a lab coat, cited her time overseas as primary inspiration. All the suffering she'd seen cast cause. The device came to her in a lucid dream, the silver ellipse small enough to wear on the wrist or lapel, just one touch and any future you choose could be yours. Soft, false flesh draped like a new lover over your body and just as clumsily until you work out the rhythm of the slang, how to maneuver this cold glass suit light as it is. Believe it or not, protests didn't last long. Sky-high pricing kept the cloaks and upper-class concerned for months, years before poor, poor folks got a hold of any prototype worth the worry. Once they did, you would think they had stolen something worth more than a date with the quarterback or a job interview. You would think they had killed someone important or blown up the moon the way the cops flooded the slums, clubs in hand, beating the color off of them. Well, that's just such a good poem and such an interesting thought. Yeah, and that the the those two turns at the end just really get me. This, especially the one with, you know, where you think they had stolen something worth more than a date with the quarterback or a job interview. You know, very yeah. It it kind of does too. What I think the some of the the best poems do, where it it kind of points towards the speculative future. But it's also making a very direct commentary on our on our present situation, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, that one really caught me. I went, "Oh my goodness!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Way to he, go! <laughs> yeah, he's fantastic. He's a fantastic poet too. His his book is good. Yeah, his other poem. I went quickly and looked to see if he had other poems in this book. You know, I said yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, that's another thing that. You know, that's that place where you have a choice when you're writing a poem. And it's like the thing about a date with a quarterback, whatever. I mean, when you're writing a poem, that's your chance to lighten up and throw in anything. Some kind of right. off the wall thing, you know, you have a whole lot of open space there to be, you know. Yeah. Let's say, I don't know, funny, leader. poignant, whatever. You can just toss in whatever. It's like when you can name cities and it doesn't matter which one. That's right. a lot of great choice as a poet. I love that. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. And that right there, you can just say what you want. And he just came up with that, and, you know, a date with a quarterback. And it's just, <laughs> it's just really, and that's another interesting thing is that these poems, there's, there's quite a lot of, of uh, light touches in these poems. I think in many of them, yeah, throughout the book, many of them, they're, they're serious stuff, but there's this light touch or even yeah. funny. Yeah. yeah yeah and yeah. i'm and i'm a big fan of humor yeah yeah and, and i think it's really difficult to do too right and it's yeah. i feel like it's hard to be to be funny you know or humorous in, in poetry so so yeah i'm thrilled when that when that can occur like yeah. you said we can see that kind of buoy to like the to like the poem you know like yeah. yeah well we got we got time for you to read something else so i think that would be a good idea Okay. People listening, I guess you're getting an idea of the uh, wide variety of of content and style that uh, are, is in this anthology. Yeah, and, uh, it's it's. I've got to say, I'm. I mean, you know, if this were a book review, you get bored because I just keep saying how much I like it. <laughs> well, no, we we appreciate so it. So yeah. It's better to have you reading poems. And just yeah. demonstrate show, don't tell. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, you know, it's just because we've done some different 
poems, I'd like to read um, Tracy K. Smith's um, sci-fi because wow. that's another poem I really, mm-hmm. I really love. And I think it, it might be, yes, it is. It's in that same section. I think it's just earlier. Um, and I think one of the, I found it. And I think one of the reasons I like this is because similar to the, um, the poem we just read, the Joshua Bennett poem, you know, it's, it's very much like kind of looking towards the speculative future. But I also like it that this poem isn't necessarily um, like centered on blackness with a capital B. Um, and one of the things I guess I mean when I say that is, um, I think one of our other aims when we made this anthology was that we wanted to avoid this idea that there's only one type of blackness, you know, like, uh, like one of the, I think he's a contributor, but, um, his name's John Jennings and he's like a, one of the illustrators, but he also wrote an essay that talked about this in an anthology about this. I, he was talking about comic books, but how in comic books, he argues that a lot of writers of color want to deconstruct this idea that there's only like one set way to be black or how to portray being black. And so um, I think that was another aim that we had with this collection where we wanted it to be open, you know, to there is not just one way to be in this Afrofuturistic world, right? And so I think this poem is like maybe maybe a good example of that. So this is called uh, Sci-Fi by Tracy K. Smith. There will be no edges, but curves, clean lines pointing only forward. History with its hard spine and dog-eared corners will be replaced with nuance. Just like the dinosaurs gave way to mounds and mounds of ice, women will still be women, but the distinction will be empty. Sex, having outlived every threat, will gratify only the mind, which is where it will exist. For kicks, We'll dance for ourselves before mirrors studded with golden bulbs. The oldest among us will recognize that glow, but the word sun will have been reassigned to the standard uranium neutralizing device found in households and nursing homes. And yes, we'll live to be much older, thanks to popular consensus, weightless, unhinged eons from even our own moon will drift in the haze of space which will be once and for all scrutable and safe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's another really good one. <laughs> yeah, and I and I just love going kind of what you said about the previous poem. I just love how imaginative and how inventive it is, you know. Yeah. The, really. You know how how she imagines, you know, the sun will be different and and how sex will be different and and so yeah, I just love it's like pure pure and adulterated science fiction i feel like that poem yeah no limits yeah no limits well gary this has been great i'm really glad we could do this and we can put this out there and let more people know about this wonderful anthology yeah no thank you charlie and yeah and i i'm glad you enjoyed it and and i hope everybody gets gets a chance to pick it up and i hope they enjoy it too All right, you're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. We've been visiting with Gary Jackson because he is one of the co-editors of a new anthology called The Future of Black, Afrofuturism, Black Comics, and Superhero Poetry. 
The official release date is November 2, so you can get an early copy. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Okay, you're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter, and we're featuring information about Afrofuturism from actually a couple of perspectives. We've got an added little feature here for you. Michael Wimberly, who teaches music right up the street at Bennington College, a friend of mine, and has a new album called Afrofuturism. And so I thought we should just spend a few minutes with Michael and hear a little bit of his music, get you another perspective on the concept. So actually, Michael, I think I think I may have a one-question interview, which is you compose music, you put together all the songs on the album, and uh, if you're going to compose something that you're going to call Afrofuturism, what would you put in, what do you put into it? Well, thank you for having me, Charlie. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm honored. Um, but that's a great question. What do you put into it? One thing that I, that resonates with me is from uh, the Art Ensemble of Chicago. They had an album called Ancient to the Future. And that idea of, of us as a people, um, and, you know, we haven't been on the planet forever, but We've been on there a pretty long time. And just the idea of, of when you look at any society, each society has a great history to some capacity. So for, for me as an African descendant man, um, I'm looking back on the, the music and the sound and the language and you know the things that, that, that have been created on that continent. And then the future is really now. Uh, so... Um, I'm looking from a musical standpoint. I'm looking at uh, old rhythms and folkloric melodies. Some of the rhythms, the folkloric rhythms that are on on the on the record would be, um, let me see. I, I used uh, like a lamba. A lamba is just a celebratory rhythm. You know, something to to that, something like that. Or I've used um, a udu instrument, which is normally made out of clay, but this one is out of Nigeria. It's a metal instrument, and and that's on the, a song called "Dance for You." Um, and that again, that rhythm is probably just a blend of, of of something that that would be played on the dunum dunumba, the lower drums, uh, dun dun dun. Dunga Dung, something, you know, something to that effect. So other rhythms could be, uh, let me just think about, um, there, there's a song called DDK, which is in, the only instrumental on the record. And and I'm using some some rhythms from a song called Eparoro. Eparoro, Ejeo, Rodo, Sheo, Eparoro, Rodo, Sheo. You know, so I'm just alluding to some things, but um, yeah, those those rhythms are deep, and from the Mozambican end of things, um, a rhythm, a fishing song called Anamwaye, uh, 
So that's there, which just, just, um, I'm, I'm just pulling on the vibration of that song, not really playing the, the, the indigenous rhythm that goes with it, but it, it definitely found its way into um, this track we, we call DDK. It also is, it's a part of um, the, the Nelson Mandela song, which was originally created on an instrument out of Mozambique called the Timbila, which is a giant vibrating marimba uh, instrumentation from the continent has made its way into this current moment in time um, it's timeless you know there's a timelessness to it so the album itself contains all of these things of rhythms specifically from west africa uh, or maybe i'm alluding from some rhythms from mozambique as well because I've, I've gone there uh, studied a lot of djembe and balafon from from that continent. Um, I'm featuring some great musicians directly from Guinea and Senegal. So from the, the balafonist Fomoro Diabate, uh, master balafonist, is his former wife uh, Missia, who's singing, who's a vocalist on there, uh, as well as uh, the great Fode Musa Suso, who's playing Kora. And, and that's a 21-string instrument from, from Mali, um, from out in Guinea. And he, but he's from Senegal, so it's in Senegal as well. He's a master musician. And he's performed, you know, with everybody from Herbie Hancock to, she's uh, it's just the list is long, you know. But um, having those traditional instruments like that, you know, African balafon, uh, the kora, uh, djembes, that's peppered within the structure of most of the songs that I have on the record. So that's more of the ancient part, texturally, you know, sonically. And then the other aspects of, of it would be through uh, lyrical content. Like, for example, I have the great um, British singer Joss Stone on the album, who's a pop, pop considered, you know, a popular singer, um, and I've known her for some years, but it's been a long time. And so she came, you know, was able to contribute on on that on my album. But at the same time, what was beautiful was she she embraced uh, Mandingo, one of the languages that I have on the on the album, and she learned that because she's been traveling Africa through various countries, learning and, and connecting to people in with their traditional languages. She just has a brilliant mind and ear for, for language. Uh, who knew? Yeah, so, something I noticed about the album and listening to it over the last few weeks is uh, it's not difficult to accept. There may be different things in it, but somehow, to me anyway, it goes down easy. I, I know what you mean in that there, I didn't write you know, like, let's write a hit song type formula. I just wrote songs, songs that came through me that made sense for me. And some of these songs are much older than others. But, um, for example, the title track, Afrofuturism, um, 
you know, we created a loop in the studio and uh, with my co-producer, Mike Murin. And we just, you know, I, I wrote that on the train. <laughs> you know I mean, literally on the subway while I was heading to the studio, you know, as far as lyrics go. And that that's more of an ode to the Funkadelics, uh, to Sun Ra, and, you know, the more... Um, influences that that have have shaped my thinking and creativity here in America and then at the same time um, there's a song that's attributed to Nelson Mandela which has a little more jazzier but at the same time the African instruments are in there uh, it's got a horn section you know so when you when you you I'm just blending things it doesn't mean some people might feel that afrofuturism is something that must contain some African element. I mean, how can I not be African? I'm, I'm, you know what I mean? I can't do anything about that. I'm an African man. Uh, I can claim Afrofuturism or futurist. I'm a futurist. Um, there's no such arid land as Af Afro land, but you know, I can, I can still embrace the word itself. Afro is a hairstyle, not a continent, you know, or a country. <laughs> but anyway, to, I wanted this album to go down easy. Because most people, or not most, but um, I have a career in improvisation. You know, I'm on a lot of recordings with, with some very innovative musicians uh, who will, who, and if you want to talk about futurists, that's the sound. You know, it's, it's, it's music that's constantly evolving. It's individual voices, but it's in a collective format. And these musicians are, are really powerful thinkers and innovators from Charles Gale, a great tenor saxophonist, to Steve Coleman, another great alto saxophonist, composer, to David Murray, another saxophonist, to guitarist and pianist. I mean, I've worked with a lot of people. And that sound does not always go down easy. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Michael. It's been really interesting to hear your perspectives on this. And now we're going to hear a sampling of a few of the tunes from the album Afrofuturism. And if someone wanted that album, where could they get that? You can get that album on Bandcamp. So that's michaelwimberly.com. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of that right now. Um, okay. But you can go to Bandcamp and just look up my name, Michael Wimberly. Okay, there we go. Futurism is the groove my Universal groove, everybody move Get out on the dance floor, chase away your blues Turn to your honey, turn to your G Tell them that you love them, tell them that you see A universal groove flowing through the mind The rhythm is euphoric, the rhythm is divine We're in the universe, the rhyme is unrehearsed Check it out, check it out, what's the next verse? Afrofuturism Afrofuturism
You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, PoetrySpokenHere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, PoetrySpokenHere at gmail.com. <laughs>